This is KMTT. Today, on Mondays, we have a shear of Harav Binyamin Tavori, who this year will be examining different responses, Shalotu Chuvot, from the major ones from the 18th and 19th century. Harav Tavori. Bekiva Eger was obviously one of the greatest of the world of Achronim. Rebekah Eger was born in a community in Germany in 1761. Many biographies have been written about him, and therefore we have many details of his life. In fact, in one of the English biographies, we even have the writing on the Wimpel of Germany. In in Germany, there was a custom that when a child is born, or actually a few years later, but they had this special cloth called a vimple. It's used to wrap a Sefer Torah eventually. And they have the words that were written on the vimple at the time Rebbe Kibeger was born. As a young man, he learned more or less at home. When he grew a little older, he went to learn by one of the Rabbanim of the Toomim family and one by his, and by his uncle in Breslau. When he was 19 years old, after having built himself a reputation as a budding godel, one of the wealthier Balabatim arranged for him to marry his daughter. When he was about 19 years old, he went to learn in the city of his father-in-law and lived there for 10 years in rather comfortable style. He did not feel responsibility to go to work, and he was continuing his learning. Unfortunately, he was impoverished by a fire that took place in the city and really destroyed everything he had. At this point in life, Rebbe Kiveger felt that he had to take a position. He had been offered positions, and he was certainly reluctant to accept such a position, but at this point he felt he had no choice. In one of the biographies, they quote the, a letter written by Rebbe Kiveger, where in which he says, I find that accepting rabbinical position is even a fate worse than death. And he was extremely modest. He was afraid of making some sort of mistake. He was also very upset the fact that he would have to take money from the community, and perhaps some of them couldn't really afford it, but gave it to him out of gave the money to the community out of shame or embarrassment. And he davened. In those days, and he talks about the days biyamima kedoshim. Apparently, we would assume that's Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur to redeem him from this decree that he would become a rav. He became a rav in a small city, Merkish Friedland. There are only about seven hundred families, or actually seven hundred people in this town, and they had eleven people who applied to be the Rav, Rebbe Kiveger was chosen to be the Rav. He stayed there for a number of years, and 
his name became even more well-known. Many long, greater communities wrote to him, asking him to let Rabbi Kivega go to their town. Chuvos were addressed to him from around the entire area. And in 1814, he became elected or chosen by a bigger community, the community of Posen, to be the Rav in Posen. One of the conditions that he had always made becoming Rav either of this city or that city was to have a yeshiva established at the same time. He had certain students from those yeshivas that were well known. Altogether, they claimed that Rabbi Kivager had 1,500 students. Some of them today are well known. One of them was Rav Eliyahu Monk, who was the grandfather of the Monk family of Rabbanim in France. In fact, Rabbi Jacobowitz, the former chief rabbi of London, of England, was a married one of the Monk family. And Rabbi Jacobowitz, who was descendant of this family on both sides, wrote a letter of introduction to one of the biographies of Rabbi Akiva Eger. Rav Tzvi Hirsch Kalischer and Rav Eliyahu Gutmacher, who were known as the leading, some of the leading leaders of the religious Zionist movement, were also students of Rabbi Kiva Eger. While Rabbi Kiva Eger was in Posen, he fought strongly against the reform movement, although he realized that certain things have to be dealt with in terms of the government and the world at large, he tried very hard to oppose the reform movement. He was known extremely for extreme anifus. He was very, very modest. In many of his svarim, after he asked the kasha, he writes, V'tzarich iyun gadol, this question requires an, a lot of further analysis. Vashem ya'irenai. And he said that Kaddish Baruch Hu should help to light up my eyes in order to answer the question. I remember once hearing a shiur by Rav Gustman. And one of the purposes of the shiur was to explain and to answer the kasha that Rabbeinu Akiva Eger asked. Rav Gustman said, Please do not think it's presumptuous of me to answer a question that Rabbi Kivager asked. After all, Rabbi Kivager did say, gadol, So I did the Irun Gadol, and Hashem Heirenai. So I did exactly what Rabbi Kivager said. I tried, I investigated, I spent a lot of time and effort, and a Kodesh Baruch who helped me to find an answer for the question. The extreme Anivas of Rabbi Kivager has been demonstrated and talked about in many, many places. I'd like to quote one place that perhaps is not as well known. In a tshuva of the Chassam Sofer in Evan Ezer, the last tshuva in the Chassam Sofer of Evan Ezer Chelek Aleph, the Chassam Sofer who married the daughter of Rabbi Kivager in a second marriage, Rabbi Kivager, Chassam Sofer, quoted a tshuva from his father-in-law. 
from Rabbi Kivager. And it's just so interesting to see how he began the letter. He wrote to a certain group of Rabbanim who had decided to consult him on the, on the question. And he wrote to them, I have been quite busy. I didn't have time to answer. But the, and I haven't been well. And I didn't think the question was that relevant that it needed immediate answer. But in general, I'm astonished that you, such important Rabbanim, decided to come knock on the, on that door of a poor man like me. It's true that one Rav did not want to be a judge by himself. But you have so many other important Rabbanim that you know, G'dolei Torah, and he mentions some of them, including the Chatani HaGaona Beitin Dikila Kedosha Pei Bet. That's obviously the son-in-law, the head of the community, the Rav of the community of Pei Bet. Pei Bet is Preshburg. And therefore, he's referring to the Chassam Sofer. And he said, they are so much greater than I am. They are the source of Torah. And why would you bother coming to me to ask such a question? In another Tshufa, Rabbi Kiva Eger wrote that the person had, a, a certain Rav had wrote a Tshufa, and he wrote a very short Tshufa and gave an opinion. Rabbi Kiva Eger obviously felt that the, he could agree with the conclusion of the Rav, but it needed to be better based. So how would you write that if you were faced with such a situation? A Rav asked you a question, he wrote himself a tshuva, and you said, yes, but you feel it requires elaboration. The way Rabbi Kivager did it was he wrote that you were such a great Hamid Chacham that a brief answer was sufficient for you. I, unfortunately, had to study it more carefully, go into the various details and think about it much more, and therefore I have to elaborate because of my own lack of knowledge, and therefore I have to elaborate more than you did. Your psak is correct, and I never have to work hard to explain that psak. Many svarim were printed by Rebbe Vegar. Today, we have many svarim by Rebbe Kivager. The In yeshiva world, perhaps, the drush v'chidush, chidushim on various mesechtos, is the well-known sefer. In the Shulchan Aruch and on Shas, there are marginal comments that are called gilyone hashas. Interestingly enough, these brief comments of Rebbe Kivager have been the source of people who actually wrote entire Sfarim dealing just with these pithy comments of, Reb, of Rebbe Kivager on Shas to try to elaborate, to explain what he meant, and sometimes to try to answer the questions or refute the positions of Rebbe Kivager. We also have today various editions of the Chuvos, which are quite remarkable. Because when I was a, when I was young and I bought a, a copy of Chuvas Rebiki Vegar, I bought a, a, a one-volume edition of Chuvas Rebiki Vegar. Later on, I, there was a two-volume edition came out, much nicer print, many more uh, Chuvas printed. Today, when I went to the library to look to see the if there are more Chuvas Rebiki Vegar, I find that there are a number of editions of Chuvas Rebiki Vegar with great elaboration. The person printed the tshuvas, 
But he has many, many comments that came out that the short volume that I remember is now a number of volumes, four volumes at least, of Chuvas Rebiki Vegar with explanations and today, in today from modern, modern Tamari Chachamim. Of course, one famous incident of Rebiki Vegar's life should be recorded, and that's, unfortunately, he was involved in a tremendous controversy between people who printed the Shas of what we know as the Ram Shas. At that time, there was another edition of the Shas printed in Slavita, and there was a, uh, a fight between the two printers as to who had the right to print them. The Vilna printers were justified by Rebbe Kiveger and by the Chassam Sofer, but said they should all buy the 40 editions, 40 sets of Shas left by the Slavita printers. The Slavita printers apparently sp- spread a word that Rebbe Kiveger had taken away his appropriation, his Haskama, from the, from the Vilna printers. Rebbe Kiveger said that the approbation was valid. The Slavita sub- supporters then started a rumor that Rebbe Kiveger was biased in favor of the Vilna edition because of some financial gain. Rebbe Kiveger very strongly protested. He pointed out that the disrespect that was shown to him, perhaps he could be mochel. But there is a concept here of Kavadah Torah. The Kavadah Torah here meant that how could the Slavita printers claim that somebody who is a Bentora could be bribed? That would be a lack, not just of covet for the person, would be a lack of Kavadah Torah. Some say, the Rebbe Kibegir said, that in this generation, I am Kavadah Torah. And therefore, he very strongly rejected the statement of the Slavita printers. If the story is exactly accurate, it shows, on one hand, the great modesty of Rabbi Kiva Eger, as we've seen in many places. On the other hand, when it's necessary to take a position to uphold Kavadah Torah, he, like other Gedolim, would stand up like a lion to fight for Kavadah Torah. Rabbi Kiva Eger became ill just before Yom Kippur, in 1837, apparently he became strengthened enough that he went to Shul Yom Kippur and was able to observe Yom Kippur. But a few days later, he passed away between Yom Kippur and Sukkot when he was 76 years old in the year 1837. Today I'd like to deal with two of the tshuvas of Rebbe Kiv Eger that started, that began with the question of benching. The very first tshuva of Rebbe Kiv Eger refers to a question that was posed to him. People told him that on Yantif at night, the people benched but forgot to say Yalaviyava. Then they heard a psak that if you do not say Yala V'yavo in benching at night, you do not have to repeat, repeat benching. Rebbe Kiveger said, this is obviously a mistake. 
the people had benched again and had done the correct thing, the question, the statement that they heard from a certain Raftabel, who said that you do not have to bench again, apparently is based on a mistake. He said, apparently he became confused between the night of Rosh Chodesh and the night of Yantif. It is true that on the night of Rosh Chodesh, if a person forgot to say Yalav Yavo, he need not repeat benching. But on Yantif, for sure he would have to repeat benching. Until here, the question is clear-cut. And Rabbi Kivaker just mentioned basically halacha, which is well known, that if a person forgets in benching, forgets to say Yalav Yavo on Yantif, he must repeat benching. However, Rabbi Kivaker began a whole discussion of a different issue connected to it. And he elaborated in the Hashmatos of of the Chuvas to elaborate upon this point. And what he wanted to say here is that even though he paskined that the men of the house should repeat benching, women do not have to repeat benching. And he explained why. Because he thought that a woman is basically allowed to fast on Yantif. She doesn't have to eat a meal. The whole reason you have to say Yala V'yavo on benching is because it's part of Yantif. What creates the fact that you have to repeat benching because you were required to bench on Yamtov. Since you were required to eat a meal, therefore you're required to bench, and therefore Yala V'yavo is indispensable to benching. But a woman, he claimed, is allowed to fast on Yantif. She is not Chayev in Oneg Yantif. Because Oneg Yantif is a mitzvah saseh. And it's like any other mitzvah saseh that women are exempt. Women are not chayev in the positive mitzvahs of Yantif, even according to the opinion that they would be chayev in the positive mitzvah of Yantif. He would say that was be in the pasuk of Shabbaton, of keeping Yamtav, of observing the Easter Malacha. Easter Malacha has in it a negative, a lav. It also has a positive commandment of Shabbaton. That perhaps women could be in, could be involved in. But the mitzvahs say of Simchas Yantif, of Oneg Yantif, well, let's go back to Oneg Yantif. Women are not uh, obligated. Therefore, they can fast. Therefore, they don't have to bench at all. They don't have to eat a meal. If they don't have to eat a meal, and but they did eat a meal, but they skipped Yalav Yavo, they do not have to repeat benching. He then went to a discussion if women are chayiv in Simchas Yantif. Now, Simchas Yantif is a discussion in Halacha, based on the Gemara, based on the Rambam and Aravid, whether women are chayiv in Simchas Yantif. But, he points out, whether or not we accept the opinion that women are chayiv in Simchas Yantif, Simchas Yantif does not require you to eat a, 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 a meal based on bread. On Shabbos, there's no din of Simcha. That point also can be discussed at great length. But Rabbi Kiveger took the position that Shabbos, there's no chi of Simcha, but there's a din of Kavit Shabbos. And Kavit Shabbos means you should eat bread. So he, he claimed that Kibbut and Oneg and Simcha are two different things. And therefore, Kavod and Oneg of Yom Tov are different from Simchas Yantif, and even if women would be Chayev and Simchas Yantif, they don't, they're not Chayev in Kavod Oneg. Then he went on to say, in the Hashmatos, that there is a discussion in the Levush that a woman 
the Levush says, since on Yom Tov we have a choice of Chetzi Olashem, Chetzi Olachem, on Yom Tov you can split the day. You can split the day half devoted to spiritual matters and half devoted to what we would call Onig Yom Tov. But you could also have Kula Lachem. A person could fast, for example, in Rosh Hashanah, the case specifically was Rosh Hashanah, a person could fast in, Yom, in Rosh Hashanah and declare it as Kula Lashem. In that case, the Levush said, you could not cook for other people. You've accepted the day as Kula Lashem. So therefore you couldn't cook. However, a woman could cook. Because since a woman has family responsibilities, therefore the, those responsibilities, which he would call a Shibud, cannot relieve her of the obligation of cooking for the family, and therefore she cannot accept Kula Lachem. Rabbi Kiveger understood this to be rather difficult, but and therefore he explained that really she's not chayiv in, 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 at all in Oneg Yantov. She's not chayiv in Chetzir Lachem, Chetzir Lachem, or even Kula Lachem. However, he said, since women accepted upon themselves many mitzvahs aseishas mangrama, and he gave examples, four examples, shofar, sukkah, lulav, and kiddush yantif. And that they accepted upon themselves. Since they wanted to accept upon themselves, they could declare it as kulo lashem. The Levush said, no, you cannot accept the chumrah when you're responsible to your family. Therefore, you, a woman is not, is not at all obligated in onigyantif, and therefore the bottom psak is that you do not have to repeat benching. Now, there's so many points to discuss in this tshuva. I'll only mention a few. One, it's a tremendous chiddush to say that women are pater from Kiddush and Yom Tov. Because on Kiddush and Shabbos, women are chayef. Now, a question in general would be, is Kiddush and Yom Tov the Raisa or the Rabbanan? It's known that some of the commentaries on the Rambam thought that Kiddush and Yom Tov is only the Rabbanan. Rabbi Soloveitchik thought that the simple reading of the Rambam would mean that Kiddush and Yom Tov is the Raisa. Because the Rambam says, Kishem, Whenever the Ram says Kashem, you have to think about what he meant to say. What's the comparison? The Ram says the same way, Kashem, that there's a mitzvah to make Kiddush and Shabbos. There's a mitzvah to make Kiddush and Yom Tov, because Yom Tov is also called Shabbos. Now, from the simple reading of the Rambam, that since Yom Tov is called Shabbos, and therefore there's an obligation to make on Yom Tov Kishem, the same way you make Kiddush and Shabbos, it would seem that Kiddush and Shabbos, Yom Tov is also the Raisa. Rabbi Soloveitchik thought that's what the simple reading of the Rambam meant. Since Kiddush and Yom Tov is the same as Shabbos, and women are obligated in Kiddush and Shabbos, it seems logical that women should be chayv in Kiddush and Yom Tov as well. Even if Kiddush and Yom Tov is the Rabbanan, it would be a big Kiddush to say that women are only chayv mid, are not chayv mid Rabbanan in Kiddush. Because since the patterns of the laws of the Rabbanan are like laws of the Torah. We would say, Kol de Tikkun Rabbanan Ke'en Da Tikkun. The patterns of the Rabbanan are similar to patterns of the Torah. 
So even if the Kiddush and Yomtev would be Midrabanan, so women should be obligated. The One of the uh, Svarim that I mentioned brings so many discussions about this, uh, these issues of Rebbe Kiveger. And he quotes Tshuva, not Tshuva, he quotes the Shulchan Aruch Harav, the first Lubavitcher Rebbe, what we call the Alter Rebbe Admar Azakei, wrote in his Shulchan Aruch, Nashim chayavot b'kiddush hayom b'shabes me'atorah u'biyomtov mitivay sofrim. He says, although the the Rav, Shulchan Aruch Rav, the Balatanya, did agree with those poskim who thought that kiddush niyantiv is drabanan, he felt women are obligated. So here we have three opinions about kiddush niyantiv. It seems that according to Rabbi Salavechik, kiddush niyantiv should be daraisa for women as well, according to. Shulchan Aruch Harav, Kiddush and Yantav is Drabanan, but women are nevertheless obligated. And Rabbi Kivegir said, no, in Kiddush and Yantav, women are not obligated. Only they accept it upon themselves. This question of accepting upon themselves also is a whole discussion by itself. In earlier poskim, when you look to see if there's a concept of Kibbalu Alayu, except for things mentioned in the Gemara Rishonim, the first source that I am aware of is a, is a Magin Avram in the section of the Shulchan Aruch of Pesach where the Shulchan Aruch, where the Magin Avram said that women are obligated in Sfirah Sa'omer. Now, except for a strange opinion of the Ramban, which we will not go into, it seems obvious that women are exempt from Sfirah Sa'omer because it's a mitzvah saseh Shazman Grama, whether it's the Raisa or the Rabbanan at this time, is irrelevant. Women are, 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 are exempt. It's a mitzvah say Shazman Grama. The Magen Avram said, but women kiblu alayu. To me, this is a double chiddush. Number one, does kiblu alayu exist as a concept to obligate women throughout the ages? The Minchas Chinuch, for example, raised the objection to Magad Avram, he said, I don't know if there is any such thing as Kiblu Alayu. Where do you make up such a concept from? Secondly, even if we would do, if we, if, even if we would assume there's a concept of Kiblu Alayu, to which mitzvahs do you relate it? How do you determine which mitzvah is Kiblu Alayu? Now, from my experience, people go home for Yantif, they make Kiddush, and the wives are there when they make Kiddush. So the very fact of the matter is that I think in all cases, women have heard Kiddush. Does that mean automatically Kiblu Alayu? Okay, maybe. But the Magen Avram also said Sviras Omer. Would that be true? Rebbe Kivayu doesn't quote Sviras Omer, but I would doubt very much whether our grandmothers or great-grandmothers did count Sviras Omer. Did they consider that a mitzvah Kiblu Alayu? Rabbi Kiveyer also adds, Shofar, Sukkah, and Lulav. Now, again, my experience is that women do hear Shofar. And women do try to take Lulav. But I never remember that women were so meticulous about eating the Sukkah. It's true that if there was a family meal, they ate in the Sukkah, but in Cholomoed or other occasions where the family did not eat together. I don't remember, and I don't remember seeing women who were so meticulous that they eat all their meals in the Sukkah. So here we have a tremendous chiddush of Eger that women are obligated in these mitzvahs because of kiblu alayu. 
Rebbe Kiveger adds another comment that should be discussed, that the first night of Pesach, women must eat matzah. So even though I said if you forget Yala Vayava, you don't have to re- repeat benching, that would only apply to Yontov, where Bekiveger claimed that women are exempt from Oneg Yomtov. But the night of Pesach, since women are obligated to eat matzah, or on a Shabbos, when women have to eat a meal, because they're chayef in Kiddush Midaraisa, and th- since they're chayef in Kiddush, they're chayef in, in Shalosh Sudot and in Lechem Mishneh, like Rabbi Kiva Eger quotes that they're chayef because of the all laws of Shabbos, women and men are the same. So therefore, on Shabbos and Pesach, women do have to repeat benching if they forgot. But on a regular Yantif, Rebbe Vegar's opinion is that women do not have to repeat benching. Many, many people have disagreed with this Rebbe Vegar and claimed that Oneg Yomtov is an obligation on women as well. And therefore, women do have to repeat benching if they forgot to say Yala Viyava. Very briefly, Rebbe Kiveger raised another question whether a man who is not sure if he said Yala Viyava, he's not sure if he benched. Could he could he bench again to be Motsi somebody who is also not sure if he benched. It could be in the question whether he's not sure if he said Yala Viavo, but it certainly could be in the case any per- person who forgot if he benched. According to the law, Savik Daraisa Lechumra, he must bench. Since he must bench, could he be Motsi somebody else who also not sure? Rebbe Givegar argued, of course he can be Motsi somebody who's not sure. You don't have to go into this j- discussion that he did go into about fake Sveika and fake Sveika here and a year, he just said very simply, the person who is not sure if he benched, the bottom line is he has to bench. Since he has to bench, he's required, even let's say it's Midrabanan, but he's required to bench. The reason he said mid, he's required Midrabanan is because the, according to the Rambam, a person who is involved in the Suffolk Daraisa is Luchumra, but that's only Luchumra Midrabanan. So even though it's only a Rabbanan din that he has to bench, but since he has to bench mid Rabbanan, somebody who benches mid who benches mid Rabbanan can be multi somebody who's chayev daraisa. So Rabbi Kivegir argued not only can a person who is in doubt whether he benched can be multi somebody else who's in doubt if he benched, he can be multi somebody else who is sure that he didn't bench because he's definitely chayev Rabbanan, and a person who's chayev Rabbanan can be multi a person who's chayev. Doraisa. And he says this certainly according to the Rambam, but even, even only, not only according to the Rambam, but according to the people who hold Sabik Doraisa's Lachumim Doraisa, it definitely would be true. In this point, he argues with the Prichadash. The Prichadash said that according to the Rambam, since you're only Chayab Med you cannot be Motsi somebody. And there, the Rubikivegir, with respect, disagrees with the Prichadash and says you can be Motsi anyone. Again, in the new editions with the Biurim and Ha'arot, they mention, have a lot of more elaboration on this psak, which does seem to be very clear cut.